0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. So guys, I'm going to jump into, a, a like I say, a short new series this week um, that I'm calling Created for Community. Everybody say, Created for Community. And, you know, the whole idea of community, what do we mean... When we say community, because you know, community has kind of become a buzzword in our society today, hasn't it? Everything is about community. Everything's about community involvement and community development and community policing and community everything. We need community, but it's almost become this buzzword to where we almost don't even know what it means. Wouldn't you agree? What is community? Well, I did a little reading. Um, Uh, you know, on community and stuff, and I'm going to read a quote in a minute from Stanford University, but everything that, when I was looking at it, everything about community, everything is about bringing people together. That's what we need. We need to bring people together. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I know in my lifetime, I don't know if I've ever seen so much division as I see today. It's tough out there. And our society has come to this place, which this is what's really bothered me, really grieved me lately, is we're at this place where everybody... Everybody has an opinion, and everybody feels like they have a right to express their opinion. Even if their opinion was read off the internet and it's completely wrong. How may, uh, y'all be honest now, how many of you have shared a story on Facebook that you found out was false and you had to remove it right quick? Y'all are lying. I know, I know some of you have, because I've sent you a text and been like, that's not true. <laughs> We don't know what's true and what's not, but we get an opinion from something that we read or something that we heard, and we run with this, and we have a right to this opinion, and then we want to argue with anybody who doesn't agree with that opinion, and we don't even truly want to hear what they have to say. We just want them to agree with us, and it's become very destructive, and I think that's where we're at today. Um, I, I think that people are trying to pick a fight. Have you noticed that? seems like you can't say anything without somebody getting upset. It's like that you're trying to pick a fight with somebody else without somebody getting offended. Some of you um, uh, may have seen back, uh, I don't know, it's been a number of months ago. I posted a story on Facebook. And it was just a cool little article I read. And it's like, instead of buying your kids more stuff, take them on a trip, build memories. And I was like, that's awesome. How often do we try and buy our kids stuff, all this stuff that's gonna be broken tomorrow? Or they're just gonna want another one or the newest, latest one. And it was saying instead, save that money and go take them on a vacation. Go on a trip. Do something that's going to build a memory last lasts for a lifetime. And I thought, what a great little article. That's awesome. And so I shared that story. Do you know the next day I had somebody that I went to school with back in Dallas upset. She shared it too and said, here's another person trying to make me feel bad as a parent because I can't take my kid on a vacation and tell me I ain't raising my kid right. And I was like, oh, my lands, you got to be kidding. But that's where we're at as a society, we need some community. We need some community. More than ever, in the midst of all this, people are separating themselves. And let me tell you, that's not helping either. People are running with this idea that I don't need anybody else. And you almost can't blame them. It's kind of like me quitting watching the news. Man, I just don't want. I can I just don't want to hear it anymore. And I think so many people are getting like that that they're separating themselves. And they're like, you know what? I just don't even want to be around people anymore. People don't want to work together in a team. People certainly don't want to deal with conflict when it comes their way. And I think the people that we admire and respect the most are our celebrities. Aren't they awesome? Are marrying and divorcing four, five, six, seven times. We're watching their weddings on TV. Oh, you know, seventh one. Oh, it's awesome. We need some community. What is our problem? People are even saying today, I don't need God. What is community? Stanford University said, and I read this off their blog on their website, and I thought this was interesting. It said, First and foremost, community is not a place, a building, or an organization. It's not an exchange of information over the internet. Community is both a feeling and a set of relationships among people. People form and maintain communities to meet common needs. Members of a community have a sense of trust, belonging, safety, and caring for one another. We could certainly use more of that. They have an individual and collective sense that they can, as part of the community, influence their environments and each other. Community is all about people. It's all about relationships. And this is what we were created for. And this is going to be my point over the next couple of weeks. Today, I'm just going to kind of build the groundwork for that a little bit. But we were created for community. And we live in a time when people have fooled themselves into saying, I don't need anybody. I'm a self-made man. I don't need anybody in my life. And let me tell you, there's nothing further from the truth. People are saying, I've heard Christians say, I don't. I don't need the church. I don't need the church. Every church I go to, I get hurt. I don't need the church. Well, let me tell you, our key verse for the next three weeks is going to be from Proverbs 18:1. And, and in your service guide, you should have had a note sheet. You can follow around, follow along in your note sheet if you want. We also have our notes on the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along on there as well. But from Proverbs 18:1, from the King James to the King James 2000 version, it says, "A man having separated himself seeks his own desire." and rages against all sound wisdom. The New King James says, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and he rages against all sound wisdom. So this is kind of where we're going in the midst of this, but the relationships, the foundations, the foundations of who we are as human beings, it's built on relationship. And from the moment, really the moment of our Actually, really the moment of our conception. We are dependent upon relationship. And the point I kind of want to get to today that I want to spend a few minutes on is talking about the the point that we are relational beings. We are relational beings simply because we were created by a relational God. And that's what I want to spend a few minutes on today. We are relational beings because we are created in the the image of relational God. And you know... This is what sets God apart from all the other gods of the world, of the past. It's what sets him apart is that God is actively seeking relationship with mankind, with humanity. You don't see that anywhere else. You don't see that as we look back and you study, you know, the religions of old and stuff, you know, where the gods are, you know, up on a mountaintop somewhere. They're out on Olympus somewhere and they're praying and sacrificing to them. But they don't come like our God, among the people. Uh, the living God comes down among his people, comes and, and sacrifices himself, goes to the, the most extreme point to restore relationship with humanity. So we are relational beings because we serve relational God. And so I really only got two points today, but I just want to answer the question how can we know that we serve of God, of community and relationship? And so follow along in your notes there. Number one, number one, the identity personality and character of God is based in relationship. The identity, the personality, and the character of God is based in relationship. It's not just what he likes. Guys, it's who he is. We serve a God of relationship. And in looking at this and kind of proving the point that God is relational being, I mean, we can look first and foremost at the scripture and, and we see that God is in eternity, we see him up there with the heavenly host, right? We see the angels of heaven, right? And so, we, we don't see a whole lot, a tremendous amount of the interaction between God and the angels in Scripture, but we do see some. And, you know, we see, we see the angels worshiping him, and we see them coming before him and making requests. We see them excited about the birth of Jesus, right? And we see them going around and carrying out God's commands. And this goes on, this has been going on for eons before mankind existed. As we know, in the beginning, God created, he created the angels, right? And so there was at least a certain amount, a certain relationship between God and the heavenly host. But what really got me as I thought about this, and I want to spend a minute on, is the Trinity. Trinity's made up of what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you got in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Did Jesus say, I am the Father? No. He said the Father and I are one, but he did not say, I am the Father. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all individual, unique persons, correct? Now, we have a hard time as human beings wrapping our, our heads around the idea that three individual persons can make up one, right? And I don't recommend you even try and figure it out, because the more we do, the more we almost have to try and bring God down to our level and try and explain him. He, it's not explainable with our human minds and reasoning right but we know that the father the son and the spirit are three unique individual persons and we know from looking through scripture that they relate to each other they relate to each other eternally and they relate to each other perfectly and so you look at this between the father son and spirit they're always relating they're always interacting and you also find that they never really they never act separately they work together. They are always Father, Son, and Spirit because that's how they operate. That's how they are relating to one another Father, Son, and Spirit. The three are one, but they are distinct and they are different. And so in looking at that, that they never act separately, we can even look at, like, look at creation. We know that in the beginning in creation, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, Father, Son, and Spirit, they were all active together in creation, if you look at it. And we even see in Genesis 1 uh, verse 26, he said, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And if you're reading from the New King James Version, us and our capitalized representing the Godhead, right? So they're talking together about this thing. Through creation, they're working together. In the beginning, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, but the Holy Spirit was there hovering over the face of the waters. Right? They were all there, all active, all working, cooperating together to accomplish the same goal that makes sense? Y'all following? Y'all awfully quiet. They're working and relating together in harmony to accomplish the same goal. If you, we go on further into the book of Matthew in chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. We see all three persons of the Godhead there together, don't we? In verse 16, it says, "...when he," that being Jesus, the son, "...had been baptized." He came up out of the water, came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we see Jesus the Son in the water. We see the heavens open. We see the Spirit descend upon him. We hear the voice of the Father speaking, all accomplishing, working together to accomplish the same goal, Right? In Ephesians 2, verse 18, I love this. Uh, Paul said, now all of us, and this is from the New Living Translation, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is talking about salvation, guys, and it shows all three parts of the Godhead in relating to us coming to the Father and being saved. And it's all of us can come to the, to the who? To the Father? Through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. So we see the Godhead, the Trinity, they're all working together. There is community among the Trinity. You all agree with that? Another way that we can know God that is relational is relational gods from 1 John 4.8. And this is a very, very familiar passage to you guys. It say, he who does not love does not know God for God is what? For God is love. Now, we look at this. Actually, let me read this to you real quick. I, I read this on, um, on uh, it was actually crosspointministry.com, actually another blog that I, I read sometimes. And he said, By definition, God exists in relationship with us as Father, Son, and Spirit. While existing as all three persons, they share one divine essence that is described as love. God can be love only if God exists as community. The pure love that they have for each other is unconditionally giving in its character. The Father gives Himself for the Son, the Son gives Himself for the Father. The gift of themselves for each other is personified in the Spirit. And not only do they give unconditionally, they receive in the same manner. This is the nature of agape it's a radical giving and a radical receiving, it's a perfect communion and union. It's, a, it's beautiful and good. We are, we're created with this likeness, this relational likeness and longing for relational connection because God exists in a relationship of love. God designed us to enjoy giving and receiving. God designed us for another. God re- designed us to receive from another. That's what it means to be a relational being. Because we bear God's relational likeness, we could commune with God. And because of that, we also have the capability of connecting with each other in mutual self flourishing ways the divine essence of who God is God is love right God is relational God is all about relationship so so what is love if God is love what is love well if you just look it up the definitions there the funny thing is love now look I'm not referring to your love for chocolate okay most of us love chocolate I'm not talking about your love for chocolate we're talking about our love one for another right So what is love when we're referring to our love one for another? It's always about someone else, isn't it? So love, a deep feeling of affection for someone. A deep romantic or sexual attraction for someone. One who loves, an affectionate approval of someone to like very much, to find pleasure in. This is all about someone else, about devotion, about friendship, respect, affection, tenderness, attachment, cherishing, delight, regard. Adoration, these are all about community. These are all referring to relationship, aren't they? And so we look at that, and actually, and it it mentioned there in that article about agape, we know agape is the Greek word for love and refers to the love that God has for man, right? And one of the definitions I found said that it encompasses a universal, selfless, unconditional type of love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance, Guys, love is all about relationship. Love is all about community, and this is who our God is. Our God is love. He doesn't like to love. He is love. Our God is love. Love, relationship, community, this is all part of who he is. And because of that, it's, because it's part of the foundation of who he is, he wouldn't be God without it. Does that make sense? If God didn't love, he wouldn't be God. So there's my first point. How can we know that we serve a God um, that is a God of community and relationship? Number one was the identity and personality and character of God as a base relationship. Number two is God initiated and pursued relationship with humanity. God initiated and pursued relationship with humanity. And again, as I said a minute ago, this is the one thing that sets our God apart. From all the other gods of the world. Our God is pursuing mankind. Our God is pursuing humanity. And you don't find that anywhere else. Since the beginning of time, since the very beginning, God has been pursuing us as human beings. And we know um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when um, when he stood on the hill of Areopagus, y'all ever heard of Mars Hill? This is, this is the place where, where Paul's standing there, and, and actually, Sean and I actually got to stand on, on, on that hill last year. It was kind of cool because it, it overlooks all of Athens, and it was where the, the high court of Greece met, and he shows up in this place, and he's standing there on this hill, and he sees a statue, and it was a statue to the, the unnamed God, right? And he saw this as a great opportunity. He goes, well, let me tell you about the unknown God. And he begins talking about the gospel of Jesus, right? And so we see Paul, as he's standing up there, he begins talking about this. And it's in Acts 17 that you'll find it. In verses 26 and 27 says, he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually he is actually not far from each one of us. Now you what this is saying? I really read that, and that's from the English Standard Version. I read it from several different, and it kind of got me thinking about, man, God set us up. I don't know if that makes sense, but look at it again. He made each of us from one man, from Adam, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So basically saying, he decided when and where you were going to live. Why? So that you could seek God and perhaps feel your way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He actually wasn't ever very far from you in the first place. I I, I thought about this. In in His pursuit, God, like, He dumbed down the journey. He's like, I'm going to make this as easy on these people as I can for them to find me. I'm going to choose just the right time and just the right place for them to be born so that they're set up, so that I'm right in front of them, so that they come smack face to face with me. He's so determined to find us. He's so determined to pursue us. I, I kind of got to thinking about that. It's kind of like we've seen on TV how scientists get, get, do experiments with rats and they, they put them like in a labyrinth and maybe give them some kind of drug or some kind of something or another and, try, and they, will they remember that this is a dead end? And will they, It's kind of like God looked at the labyrinth and he went, wow, okay. There he is. Uh, here's the one direct route. I'm going to set him right there so that he sees me right at the end. And, uh, you know what? I'm going to drop cheese along the way. Uh, and, and, and it's like God was pursuing us, us that hard that he wanted to make it so that we could not escape him. That was God's pursuit of us. That's how hard he comes after us. So when people say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, their eyes aren't open very wide. Their eyes. Looking, they're looking just like this, like the little blinders of horsewares, right? God has set us up. His pursuit of us is so utterly intentional. And he did it so that it would be almost impossible for us to not find him. God does everything he can possibly do to pursue us. If it wasn't for his initiation and pursuit of us, we would never pay attention to him. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't even know that he existed if he didn't pursue us. You realize that's the only reason that we know God is there? Is because he chose to pursue us first. He could have just created us and dropped us in the garden, and here we would be eons later, not having a clue where in the world we came from, right? John 15, verse 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Psalm 15, I'm sorry, Psalm 145 9 says, The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on his creation. You ever thought about the Lord showers us with compassion and love? It's kind of like you ever, you ever taken a shower and gone somewhere and somebody installed one of those super heavy, I mean, like water-saving shower heads that, I mean, it takes you like four minutes to get your hair wet because it's like pfft. that's not God's love for us. He show, it, it says, it says there in, let's see. It says in Psalm 42 8, every day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. This isn't a shower saving, a water saving showerhead of love. God's pursuit of us was a wave, it was a a deluge of water. It, it, It hits us so that we are smacked over, so that we can't miss it. That's God's love. Every day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. Any any of you you ever like a little salad with your salad dressing? I'm trying now as I get older to eat a little more of the salad and a little less of the dressing. But as I was younger, you know, I, I, I might as well have just filled the bowl first with dressing and then dropped a little piece of lettuce in it, right? How many of you are like that? That You get the salad and, man, you just like... You, I mean, you, you just keep on pouring, keep, yeah, keep on pouring, keep on, that's God's love for us. God's love is poured out, poured out. It's how God loves us. His pursuit of us is relentless. Now, listen, does he approve of everything we do? No, of course not. God doesn't approve of everything we do, but he still loves us. God has paid attention to every detail of our lives. He knew the plan for our life before we were even conceived. He has never for a moment taken his eye off of us. That's the pursuit of a relational God. We serve a God of community. God pays attention to all the details in our life because really that's what love does, doesn't it? You pay attention to those things that you love. And that's what our God does. And we know, that, we know that God took action on our behalf. Let me tell you something. Another, another definition of love, love is action. We talked about that back a few weeks ago when I talked and I did the series My Life, My Responsibility, that, that there's a responsibility that comes from everything that God promised in our life. And really, it's the same thing with love. If we truly love, love takes action. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands, Right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Love takes takes action. And that's what Jesus did on our behalf. He realized that we had a problem before we ever knew we had a problem. And he took action to take care of that problem before we were even born. You realize all the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what does God do? He talks to them and says, guys, here's what's got to happen now. Let me tell you, I'm going to solve this. A God that pursues us. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. I'm I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make the way. And he spends the entire Old Testament setting everything up for the most pivotal point in the history of the earth. The death of Jesus Christ. God's pursuit is relentless. We are relational beings Because we were created in the image of relational God. And that's kind of what we're going to continue on next week. Like I said, I just kind of wanted this to kind of be the foundation and the groundwork of it. We'll start talking about kind of our lives. This week, we're talking about a God of community. Next, we're going to talk about living a life of community. But guys, God is not distant. God is personal. As we wrap up, I just want to tell you, God sets you up. You may be at a place in your life where you feel like God has never been more distant. You may be at a place where you're questioning where in the world is he, but let me tell you, he's hovering right over the top of the labyrinth right now. He's right there watching. He hasn't taken his eyes off of you for a second. He sets you up. He puts you on a path that led directly to him. Now, let me tell you, that path has other little pathways that go off to the sides, and we can choose to go a different direction, right? But he set us up. He tried to make this whole thing as easy as possible. God is ever-present, and he's pursuing a personal relationship with each of us. God goes to extreme lengths for community and relationships because that is simply who he is. And thus, that's who we are as well, right? With that in mind, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. Hopefully, you've gotten the point in the midst of all this. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and stand up and as we get ready to close, but guys, God pursues us every moment of every day. You're not alone. And you were never meant to go it alone. You may be at a place where you've been hurt and disappointed, and maybe you've even separated yourself. Maybe from family, maybe from friends. Maybe you hadn't been in church in a while. Maybe you've separated yourself from the church, but Guys, God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you relentlessly. And he's as close as your next breath. He's not far. All we have to do is follow him. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that we accept his love. What was his love? His love was on full display with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It means that we, we accept that moment. We accept that sacrifice as our own. means that we surrender our life to Him. And the motto of our life becomes the same as Jesus's. Lord, Father, not my will but Yours be done. And we choose to follow Him all the days of our life. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Let's all bow our heads together. Guys, I just can't reiterate enough. God God has pursued you. may be here and God has never felt more distant but let me tell you he is your biggest cheerleader and he's standing there and he's saying come on you've got this you can do it and I won't lie and tell you that it's easy to live a life of surrender It's, it's not always easy it's tough sometimes to give up some things that we've held on to so tightly. And we've got to remember that love takes action. And God loves us too much to leave us in the state that we were in when He found us. And so He's always pushing us to be more than we can think we can be and to do more than we think we can do simply because He loves us. That's what it's all about. We've got to surrender our life to Him and we choose within our hearts, and we say, God, I'm going to go where you say to go, and I'm going to do what you say to do, and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life, and I'm not looking back for one second. And guess what? The Bible says that when you do that, when you make that decision in your heart, that you become a new creation and all things become new. doesn't mean your problems go away, but it means that now you've got the creator of the universe. He, 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 He has your back. He's walking with you hand in hand. He's given you wisdom and he's leading and guiding you through the storms and through the tough times. And he's leading you to places of peace and joy. He's leading you to places where you can overcome those things in your life that have held you back for so long. That's what it's about. And it means when this life ends that you have nothing to fear when you take your last breath because you will take your next breath. You'll blink your eyes again and you'll be standing there face to face with Jesus. And it'll be the most awesome moment of your life of your entire life. That's what it's all about. If you're here and you would say, I need Jesus today, or you're here and you would say, you know what? I, I, I've I known the Lord, but I've, I've stepped away. And, and, and maybe you would say, I've been living my life for myself. I, I haven't put my trust in the Lord, really. The, the Lord feels distant. I, I don't even know where he is right now. If that's you, and you would say, you know what? I need to get my life right. I need to I need to rededicate my life to him. I need to get my focus right. If that's you with every head bowed and you would say, I've got to get things right in the Lord today, just lift your hand and let me see this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. But who would say, I need to get my life right in the Lord today? Amen. Who else? Two people. Anybody else would say, I have got to get my life surrendered to Jesus today? Guys, this is your moment. The Bible says he's at the door knocking. Guys, all we've got to do is open it. Anybody else would say, I've got to open the door to Jesus today. That's three. Awesome. Listen, even if you didn't raise your hand, that's all right. We're going to pray a prayer together, and you can pray this prayer. The Bible says that if you meet it with your heart. Look, it's not about the prayer. It's about your heart. If you meet it in your heart, the Bible says that you become that new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new and you can begin to step into what God designed you to do in your life. You can step forward in freedom and in peace and in joy in Jesus' name. We're all going to pray this together. Ready? Everybody, let's let's just pray together. Everybody say, Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus, for sending your Son to die in my place. Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life, I'm sorry for doing things in my own strength. I'm sorry for thinking that I know it all. Today, I give up. I surrender. I'm done. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I thank you, Jesus, that you died in my place, but you rose from the grave. And today, I put my trust in you, and I put my faith in you, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will live for you, Lord, from this day forward to the end. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer today. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of community. You have so relentlessly pursued us with your life. You so that's, That has been the goal of everything. You've tried to make yourself so obvious in front of us since the very day that we were born. And God, today we embrace you and we recognize who you are and we respond to your love because love demands action. And so we respond to it in Jesus' name by living a life of surrender, by giving you all that we are, by serving you every day of our life. Lord, we love you so much. And I just ask this week, Lord, as we continue, I just pray, Lord, that you would just, you would just bring this word back to, back up in our hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, that we would sense your embrace and your love and maybe ways that we've never felt before. Lord, that we could share that with others in Jesus' name, that we could be a shining example of who you are to every person that we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.